0: Lord, and I just pray tonight that the seed of love that you have sown in each one of us, Lord, that, that you would continue to water that and feed that, that it may grow into something big and strong and glorious and immovable. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, God is good. Thanks, guys. My name's Clay. If we haven't met, all right, we have met. But always a pleasure, Michael. Last Sunday, I began uh, my message by rather depressingly uh, reminding us all uh, that this world is broken and hurting, and in desperate need of God's love. And the world is broken and hurting because humanity is broken and hurting. The people on this planet, it's us in this room as well, desperately need a deeper revelation of God's love and a deeper encounter with that love. Is that something that we can just take as read? Have we got that much? We're good? We need His love and we need it to take root in us and grow to the point that it totally consumes us and enables us to love God, love those around us, and love ourselves. God's love is the medicine that the sick world needs, and we need a lot more of it. And when we do find it, we need to drink it in deeply and let it do the work for which it was purposed. So, what I want to continue to explore tonight is how we can grow in God's love and see that love make a difference in our lives and bring hope and healing to the world around us. Is that good? Can we go there? All right. The foundation we need to start with, as we reflect back to last Sunday's message, is that God is the source of love. Love is the essence of who God is, as in 1 John 4, verse 8. And because we are made in His image, Genesis one twenty seven, that means the capacity to love is hardwired into our DNA as we have been designed to reflect who God is and display His qualities. So we start with love, or at least the potential for love, from the very beginning. But we also have a sinful nature, and this sinful nature is at constant war with the nature of God imprinted on us. And unfortunately for us and the world, without a deeper revelation and anointing from God the sinful nature wins. It wins out slowly but surely, sometimes quite quickly, and it suppresses and kills off the image of God's qualities on us. It steers us to look to our own needs and desires first and distorts the image of God on us so that that image becomes obscured in us all, even to the point where it is entirely hidden. But as we discussed last week, God's plan is for us all to be reconciled to him and restored to the glorious image that we were created to reflect. And last week we explored how God restores his love in us by pouring out a new anointing of love. And he gives us this anointing of love when he gives us his Holy Spirit, when we surrender our, our lives to him. The Holy Spirit is placed on our hearts as a seal that binds us to God, and with that comes uh, a renewing of his qualities, an outpouring of his love. As in Romans 5.5, 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We also explored how God himself can grow in us this love and teach us how to express it, but we need to surrender ourselves to this work. And cooperate with his spirit. Because God will not force us to change, but he will lead us to transformation, uh, if and when we will follow. And lastly, we looked at how growing in love starts by experiencing and appreciating the love that God has for us. The more we open ourselves to it, receive it, and appreciate what he has done for us and is doing, the more this love can shape us into loving people. Because as 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. And Paul prayed for the Ephesian church saying in Ephesians chapter 3, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul knew that the more the Ephesians understood God's love and what he had done for them, the greater capacity they would have to receive and live in that love. The more we allow ourselves to experience God's love, the more we can come to embody it and allow his love to shape us. So tonight, we will look deeper into how it is that God grows his love in us and see what we can do to cooperate with this sanctifying work. Right, to that end, please turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And from verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them is the one who loves me. If you love me, you'll be loved by my Father, and I too will love you and show myself to you. This verse is reinforced by 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And this is rammed home convincingly by 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. God's plan for us is that we would come to know and embody his love. His law, His word, His commands these guide us into an environment for God's love to increase in us. They set boundaries to keep us from straying too far from His heart. They give us a measure to aspire to. They give us a goal to strive for. Obedience is the journey that marches us deeper and deeper into the love of God. The other benefit of obedience is that submitting to God's will requires that we first surrender our own will. And the attitude of self-denial that this surrendering requires is exactly the same attitude that you need for love to grow. Obedience doesn't sound really lovey-dovey. It sounds quite hardcore and depending on where your head's at at the time, Obedience can even sound legalistic, but it couldn't be further from the truth. Obeying God's word is the deepest expression of love we can give to him. And that's what he truly desires. And as we selflessly lay down our own will, it's in that space that his love can grow and blossom within us. Now, we don't obey because the word says we must and because the expectation of the church elders that we must obey and tithe before tax. But we obey because we love him and we want to please him and because we are made to live in his will. We do what pleases him and there is no legalism in that. The law was given to us to show that without him, we could not measure up. The law was also given us as a guide to step into purity. Obedience comes from a heart filled with love for God. And the more we step into that, the more that love grows. Obedience, like any journey on foot, is a simple matter of one foot after the other. The reality is that um, being pure and holy and righteous, for most of us, certainly myself, seem like a mountain too far away for me to ever uh, attain. It feels like where I am now, I could never be anything like Christ. But as I reason with myself, I know that I can make one decision tonight. One decision that is righteous. I can make one choice as I see it come before me to choose his will other than my own. And what that is, is one step close to him. It's one step in obedience. And then another choice is presented before me and I can choose to go his way or another. And if I take that choice for him, that is another step forward in obedience. And one step after another, we end up in this journey of righteousness step by step closer to him and his will for us. And what is awesome about this journey is it doesn't matter how many times we fall over, we can always get back up, realign ourselves, put our eyes on him, and take another step. His grace covers anything that we could ever do, anything that's wrong. He'll forgive any attitude, any action. He just wants us. So you get back up again and you take another step. And in that attitude of obedience, his love, it just continues to grow. So if you are tonight feeling like you are lost in rebellion and that you have fallen and you don't know what happens next, let me reassure you that what happens next is you get back up and you take another step and he forgives you. He's already forgiven you. His Grace has already done its work. Take another step forward in obedience and into love, and you can do that tonight. This is a truth you can trust in, and you can reap the redeeming fruit of that, even here there is um, There are a number of things that can hold us back from from growing in selfless love. One of those is giving our love to another, but not necessarily giving our love to another person, but to another purpose. To that, please turn with me to Luke chapter 16, verse 13. The reason I said loving another purpose and not a person holds us back from going in God's love is that loving people is actually essential for growing in God's love. The problem is that we don't do that enough. But Jesus says here in Luke chapter 16 verse 13, No one can serve two masters, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The love of money, a heart position we usually refer to as greed, usually clothes itself in more subtle attire than Wall Street's Gordon Gecko. And we can often justify our greed by trying to fool ourselves that it's for the benefit of others. And as a youth pastor, I certainly met too many dads who spent their lives striving away at work to the neglect of their wives and their children. And I think even part of them believed that it was for their benefit, but the kids and the wife weren't getting what they really needed. Ambition takes over, and it can be a beast that is hard to pull down. Money is an idol jealous for our worship, for our attention, for our time, and for our energy. And the love of money has no regard for the welfare of anyone, not even you. Money doesn't care if you don't ever get any sleep. Money doesn't care if you don't eat well. Money doesn't care if you work yourself to a heart attack and an early grave. Money doesn't care about you. It doesn't care about anyone And the more we bind ourselves to that, that is the path we get dragged down. Greed is consuming, and when you give into it, there is no room for anything else. All your other relationships begin to suffer. The relationship between a husband and a wife, between children and parents, and definitely the relationship between you and God. That's the one that suffers most of all. In this greed, the love of money, is the exact opposite of loving God. For loving God requires by its very nature for you to love others and love yourself. You cannot love God if you're not loving others. These are mutually inclusive. Greed, ambition, consumerism, these things can be idols in our life that divert our attention away from the one who truly loves us, which is Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is exactly what this verse is talking about. Greed wraps its dirty hands around our heart, squeezes in and strangles out anything selfless there and prevents anything loving growing there. Now hear me. I'm not saying for a minute that God doesn't want you to be wealthy or successful. It is God's good pleasure to bless his children and to see them prosper. But if your heart longs for these things rather than finding satisfaction In the Lord, then His love cannot grow in you because something else has your heart. To grow in love, we must surrender ourselves to God's will and obedience, and we must cast off the love of money and other idols. Now, I've spoken mostly here to to greed and to money, but there are many other idols that grab our hearts and strangle us. I can't believe the fascination and adoration that so many in our society have for this pretend celebrity culture overseas. This pretty plastic facade is built of these people who have the most ridiculous lifestyles. And for some reason, not just young people, but all kinds of people are transfixed by this fantasy world. And that becomes an idol that diverts their attention from a God who actually is real and can make a difference in their lives. There are so many idols. You probably wouldn't have to search too far to find what it is in your life. To grow in love, we must surrender ourselves to God's will and obedience. We must cast off these idols. These life-defining attitudes and choices are certainly easier said than done. I know that, and I know so much of what we say you need to do here is easier to preach, but a lot harder to live. And God knows that too. And to see us step into this, he has given us two things to help us. He has given us his spirit, and he has given us his people. Love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Galatians chapter 5. And the more we engage with his spirit in us and allow him to work in us, the more his love is produced. The funny thing about spiritual fruit, maybe it's not funny, maybe it's just interesting. The interesting thing about spiritual fruit is that it grows a lot like fruit, orchard fruit. Trees need water. They need uh, nutrients and food, and they need sun. They get all those things, they produce good fruit. Uh, though while a, uh, a fruit tree feeds on compost and mulch loaded with nitrates and other nutrients to grow good fruit, we need to feed ourselves on God's word. We feed on edifying, spiritual conversations and encounters, and this helps us grow. A fruit tree needs to drink water. For us to grow in love, we need to drink of His Spirit. We need to have regular, real encounters with His Holy Spirit who confirms the things that He is doing and the things that He has said that fills up with new love and hope. And that anointing empowers us to step into what He's called us to. And a fruit tree needs to bask in the sun to soak up that energy so it can transform Carbon dioxide into sugars, which make the fruit taste so sweet. The marvel of photosynthesis. But in an interesting parallel, we too need to soak in the sun, in the glorious radiance of his love. We bask in that, we soak it up, and it does a work in us that produces fruit, sweet fruit, That flavors the world around us. When we soak up His love, that enables us to reflect that back to Him and to those around us so that people in our lives can taste of the fruit of His Spirit. That is His love. Just like a fruitful orchard, when growing love, the ground, the soil, where the tree is, it's essential very important. It matters. The environments that you put yourself in can make all the difference. God's plan was that his church would be a greenhouse of love. It would be an environment where all of the factors are there, be the perfect environment. We would love each other and that love would propagate and multiply among us. That is what the church was supposed to be. Sadly, we don't often stick to God's blueprint. But uh, we have hope. We have hope that the rock will become this place. Jesus said in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, I I don't know what the world thinks of the rock or what they see when they look at us. But I have hope in my heart That we will become known as a people who really care, who have something different in us, a love, which is almost annoying. It is so consistent. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That verse talks about why we should be meeting together says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But continue to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's, that's why we have to keep doing this. Because if we don't do this, we're not going to be growing in love. Community was the purpose. It was the plan for how we would become the people he has destined us to be. We need to be in a greenhouse like this surrounded by people who also want to grow in love, encouraging each other, pushing each other on, challenging each other when we're seeing things which don't match up to what we know we want. In Philippians 1 verse 9, Paul is praying for love to grow in that church. And a little further on in Philippians 2, he is teaching them to reflect the love of Christ onto others. And that is exactly what we need to be doing here praying for each other, praying that love would be growing in people's lives. What we tend to do when we pray for each other is we'll pick something on the surface. There'll be an ailment, there'll be a financial situation, we'll pick a little symptom of a broken life, and we'll pray on that. Most of the time, neglecting the issue that's at heart. A lack of brokenness before God, a lack of surrender, and a lack of love. I'm sure God wants to fix all the stuff on the surface, all the symptoms, but it's like putting a band-aid on a severed arm. Your arm's on the floor, and you've got a band-aid on. It doesn't look pretty, but the issue was something much more than a a band-aid could fix. God wants to bring full restoration and healing. And so we need to be praying, just as Paul was, for the core issues. Now, (laughs) to do that we need to be vulnerable with each other. I mean, some people feel it's, it's hard enough to share, you know, that maybe I'm having some problems at work or having trouble making the, the, the rent or something. But uh, to go deep to what's really going on in our hearts, it takes some real humility. But what gets you to, to take that step to make yourself vulnerable, to share your real burdens with people, is that your your desire to be deeper in God Your desire to know and live his love is greater than your pride. See, pride's what holds us back at the time. We don't want people to know what's really going on about us. We don't want them to know what we're struggling with. We don't want them to think less of us so we hide it away and bottle it up and not let the Spirit minister to it. Because it's in an environment of grace and love that the Spirit ministers to us. And it's very annoying that he wants to do it through other people. It is. It's annoying. I would personally prefer that he would just do it to me. No one else can see. Probably not here. Probably in my bedroom where I can cry and do whatever he's going to make me do without anyone judging me. That's what I would prefer. That's my preference. But that's not the way he usually chooses to work. He wants to do it in here. He wants us vulnerable with each other because it's not just about us. It's about building the whole church. Have you ever experienced the power of God, the love of God ministering through you to bless someone else and lift them up? Man, you feel purpose. Man, you feel like you can make a difference. Man, you feel God on you. There's a bigger picture here. So if you want to see more of his love and grow in this, as a minister of his love and also as a benefactor, we need to be more vulnerable with each other. We need to put the pride aside and get over it. And I'm I'm saying that as a prideful man. I need to get over it. This is exactly what we should be doing. Praying for each other that we would understand, experience and move more into God's furious love. Teaching each other and modelling this love in our example to spur each other on towards living out this love. That is what the rock needs to become. And as we do, God's love will blow those doors out and his love will go running down the streets and we will bring hope and healing to all those that we encounter. Is that something you want to be a part of? Well, if it is, that's something that we together as a community need to go over. We need to go for it. The rock becomes a haven of love when we become loving people. I can't make that happen. The elders can't make that happen. It's when we as a people choose to step into that and do our little bit. just as we did last week, I want us to finish tonight. And that's that's all I wanted to share tonight. I want, as we did last week, for us to go after this in prayer.